This is episode 66 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to have you here. No matter how you arrive today, maybe you listen to the link on Syracuse.com or social media. Awesome ways to take in the show, but don't forget that you can subscribe to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Just find Syracuse.com podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Not only will you get the Syracuse Sports Podcast, which recently featured conversations with ESPN's Jay Billis and Joe Lenardi, you get the Syracuse Football Podcast with Stephen Bailey. He just broke down the brand new 3-3-5 defense that Syracuse Football will be playing this season and spoke with their brand new defensive coordinator, Tony White. You'll also get game recaps of Syracuse basketball that we do on Facebook Live. We make it into a podcast for you, and that way you can listen to all of those on demand on your time by subscribing. Ben Burroughs is going to join me today, and we are going to do a deep dive on recruiting. Ben writes about recruiting for Syracuse.com, and it's interesting what Syracuse basketball's recruiting world looks like these days. The class of 2022 is starting to shine a little bit. D.R. Johnson, the highest-rated recruit Syracuse has since Carmelo Anthony is committed. But he's got an interesting story about whether he'll hold that commitment and the players he's trying to bring with him, including Chance Westry, another five-star recruit that will be at the Syracuse-North Carolina game on Saturday. Ben and I will cover it all, the incoming recruits in 2020, the Baron class of 2021, at least currently, and that all-star class starting to round out for 2022. Not only recruits, but transfers, a couple names that Syracuse is looking at in that market. But before we look into the future, let's talk about Syracuse basketball in the here and now. They're about to enter what is sort of a purgatory, a twilight zone, if you will, over the next four games. There's nothing Syracuse can do in terms of quality of opponent to help its NCAA tournament resume. That is dead in terms of an at-large presence. Syracuse, even if they win out and finish 19-12 and and 12-8 and in the ACC, it's not a good enough at-large record to get into the NCAA tournament. This we know. They don't have a top 50 win. Their net ranking is 66. They just don't have enough quad one quality wins for that resume to stand on its own. Syracuse lost the games that matter in non-conference play and in ACC play. The next four games at Pittsburgh, Wednesday night. Pittsburgh, as we speak, is a team that's lost four straight games, five of their last six. They were just recently hit with NCAA sanctions. They're kind of a weird team. Syracuse beat them in the Carrier Dome a few weeks back, 69-61. Pitt currently 15-13, 6-11 in ACC play. This is still really strange to say. North Carolina with a losing record. Overall, North Carolina last place in the ACC at 3-13. They've lost seven in a row. Now, Carolina is still Carolina. They're a brand. They bring one of the best players in the country in Cole Anthony. A lot of Syracuse fans bought tickets to that game ahead of time, so there's still going to be an event-like feel to that game on Saturday, even though it's not really going to mean that much in the grand scheme of things. It is the last basketball game Syracuse will play under the current edition of the Carrier Dome roof before full-time renovations start next week. From there, Syracuse goes to Boston College, who, as we speak, has a losing record at 13-15. and They're 7-10 and in ACC play, and they've lost three of their last four. Miami, 14-13, and 6-11 and in the league. They've won three of their last four but did lose to Notre Dame over the weekend, 87-71. to Bottom line is, these are hold water games. If Syracuse just wants to stay 
in the conversation, at least be in the upper echelon, the upper half of the ACC, they've got to maintain here. Three of these four, as we mentioned, are on the road. But even if Syracuse wins out, you're 19 and 12, you're 12 and 8 in ACC play, you still got to do damage in the ACC tournament. You still have to go to the ACC tournament championship game, I think at the very least, to enter back into the NCAA tournament conversation. And even then, you're a bubble team, and even then, you may have to go to Dayton. So Syracuse is in this weird spot over the next four weeks. These games certainly mean a lot to the fans, and they mean a lot to the team, because you want to keep winning. You want to avoid what would be, still mathematically possible, by the way, Jim Beheim's first losing season as a head coach. No one wants to go to the NIT, and even that's a weird scenario because, as mentioned, with the Carrier Dome renovations going on, Syracuse may not even play an NIT game in central New York. They're currently looking at some spots to play, but it's a short turnaround. The NIT bracket comes out on Sunday night. you got to find a date. you got to find a venue that works in what is a short period of time, either St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, or Wednesday, March the 18th. And would fans want to go to a Rochester or a Buffalo or Glens Falls has even offered up their arena to see old friend Joe Girard III and Syracuse play in the NIT. But how motivated would fans be to travel to watch an NIT basketball game? It'll really test how much you really love your Orange. This team, no matter what we're saying here, plays with grit, they play with guts, and they play with gumption. The second half of that Georgia Tech win on Saturday showed that Syracuse could not have played a worse half of basketball in the first half of that game and could not have played any better in the second half, shooting 64%. Marek Dolzhai, 12 of 12 from the free throw line. Barama Sidibe coming through with six points, 10 rebounds, three steals, and avoiding foul trouble. And you say, Brent, he fouled out of that game. Yes, but did not foul out of that game until there was about two minutes to go and did not commit a foul in the first half. So what Syracuse is doing is showing a glimpse of the future. Quincy Garrier, who struggled on Saturday but had a combined 56 points and 27 rebounds in the four games prior to that, is showing the force he's going to be next year. Bryson Goodine and Jesse Edwards have shown flashes of the future. But in the present, what are you looking for? What are you rooting for? What is this team going to do? Well, right now, you just want them to keep winning and somewhat somehow stay in the conversation. But no matter what happens over the next four games, if Syracuse wins all four, if they lose all four, their entire postseason existence is based on what they do in Greensboro at the ACC tournament. That is the current state of affairs for Syracuse basketball. Let's look into the future. Ben Burroughs from Syracuse.com joins me now for a complete recruiting roundup. Let's get to it. He's back, baby. Ben Burroughs on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Now, last time we brought you in to discuss all your fancy analytics. Right? Uh-huh. This time, bringing you back because Ben also is on the recruiting beat for us at Syracuse.com. And that's always an interesting world to live in, as, as you know. It's uh, wild. Talking to teenagers whose minds change all the time, their families, their parents, the rabid fans that want to know what's going on with recruiting. It's it's got to be a wild world you live in there, Ben. Oh yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I think fans are foaming at the mouth sometimes to to get any any little detail or any additional note that you can come up with. You know, it, it's it's fun though. It's difficult to get 
17-year-old kids to to respond to you in any way sometimes, or it takes a month? You would think it'd be easy, <laughs> but you got to find the right format. Do they talk on Snapchat? Do they talk on DM? Can, a traditional text. God forbid you yep. make a real phone call once in a while, right? Like that's just uh-huh. got to be part of the process right there. Yeah. The, the, an actual phone call is usually sort of the last resort for me where I, it's, it's sort of like, I'm your parent now and I'm calling you because I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> you've, you've told me six times that we could do this interview and I'm, I'm fine texting, but I'm, I'm making demands Man. now. I'm still old school. I remember I used to have to call somebody on the phone uh-huh. and you'd be talking to one of your friends and like your mom would pick up the phone. Mom, get off the phone. <laughs> now, that, that's the last resort. Yeah. That's the world we live in today. Yeah. Actual you know, human voices connecting is the last thing. Yeah. It's it's weird. Some kids are good at texting back. Some kids prefer Twitter DMs. Some kids prefer Instagram. They'll respond to you on Instagram, but they won't respond to you on Twitter. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> You know, I, I don't know how to go through this process sometimes, but what, I... What have you found the most success with? Is is there a leader in the clubhouse? Twitter. Twitter? Sure. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario is, you know, I'll just reply to a tweet and say, hey, DM me. Like, shoot me a DM. And a lot of kids will, you know, follow you back and, and shoot you a DM. And, and then hopefully you can exchange numbers later if, if you need to, but... I'm not a big Instagram user myself. I'm not either. Yeah. So it's that's that was the last case scenario for a while, and now I'm starting to find out that a lot of these kids are more active on Instagram. My so. daughter's 13, and her big thing is Snapchat. She wants to be on Instagram. We haven't quite gone down that road yet. And I shouldn't let her on Snapchat because that's the one where everything disappears, uh-huh. right? So why is that the one I let her use when the other ones are the ones I can track? I don't know, Brent. I know. I I think you've got some problems. Enough about my bad parenting right there. So uh, the big headliner, Ben, is Dr. Johnson. Uh Let's start with 2022 and and work our way back. They get this big commitment Mm -hmm. from Johnson who, according to some reports, and if you look at it, if it must be on the internet, it's true, right, that he is the most highly rated recruit since Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, is that, tr- is that accurate? Let's, let's start there. I'm pretty sure. I, I think a lot of the recruiting services sort of go back to the very early 2000s, and I'm I'm almost certain that it's it's that maybe like Daywan Coleman at one point was was really really high up there. I think Chris McCullough was really high up there, and then he had some um, some issues his junior season and sort of fell out. But I I think all things considered. He's the highest-rated recruit for Syracuse since Carmelo. What makes him the highest-rated recruit to come to Syracuse, we hope, because as mm-hmm. we'll get into, there's some, yeah. some questions there. That That's oh. still up in the air. Um, I, I wrote about this uh, last week or the week before. It's a little muddy. Um, but I checked in with some recruiting analysts, and, and the big thing for everybody is the creativity. They say he's like the most creative special guard that they've seen in years I've asked for pro comps, college comps. And they're like, I don't, I don't know who to compare him to. Um, the kid is just an incredible scorer off the dribble. Um, he's just a highlight factory on YouTube and Twitter. You know, if, if you type in Dior Johnson, you're going to see all of these accounts and he's just destroying people. Um, you know, I, Ankles everywhere need to be braced. <laughs> the, the the kid is is really really special. I I wouldn't say he's explosive, but he's crafty. Um, and I think the offense that Syracuse likes to run 
Jim likes to run a motion offense and have those guys be creative. Some of the scouts that I talked to said that it could be the perfect fit. Just put the ball in his hands and let him do something magical. Um, so overall, it could be a really good fit. What did he like about Syracuse, and why did he commit so early? This is a guy that could have had his pick of the litter, mm-hmm. but he he found his spot. I think Jerry McNamara. You know, I, I think a lot of a lot has been made of Jerry missing on some recruits, like a Quad A Green. He recruited for a while and didn't get. But Jerry's been in on Dior Johnson since like seventh grade. Quad A Green, who by the way we should remind, yes, went to Washington with Mike Hopkins, but currently mm-hmm. can't play because he's academically ineligible. Right. One right. of the factors that sunk Washington's battleship this year. That they're yeah. the last place team in the Pac twelve now. Yeah, really tough. You know, he I think all around his career has sort of torpedoed. You know, he went to Kentucky, had trouble there, lost his starting spot, then he transfers, and now he's academically ineligible. Things have really gone off the rails for Quad A, and I think a lot of Syracuse fans thought that he could be an anchor for the Orange for a few years. And similarly, Jerry was has been in on Dior like he was on Quad A for a really long time. He built that relationship for a really long time. I think the I think he's from Saugerties. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think that factor is maybe a little bit overrated in general. I don't think he probably particularly cares when you get to the level that he's going to be playing at. Um, when you're thinking about does he play in college or does he go right to the NBA, I don't think staying close to home is important. But the relationship with Jerry. Which, by the way, I think is somewhat overrated. But mm-hmm. when you look at you got to get enough of them, right? Like Isaiah Stewart yeah. goes to Washington. Yeah. Andre Jackson. Like if you're within the state of New York, Syracuse fans feel like you're bound to go to Syracuse. Like you don't have right. a choice in the matter. Mm-hmm. Like you must come here. Joe Girard was the all-time leading scorer in New York State history. So it's nice when you get a player like that. But you can't get all of them, right? But it's nice right. when you can make that connection. Yeah, I, I certainly think it. And when you look back on, I, th- I think Isaiah Stewart particularly hurt because he was such a highly rated prospect. And now he looks like he's going to be a lottery pick. Um, before him, another Rochester kid, Thomas Bryant, that they missed on, who was the, I think he was the number one or number two overall recruit in the country. And it comes down to even if they're from the area, maybe it's not a good fit. I think that's what people think about. You know, are you going to take a job in, in your hometown if it's a bad fit? You might not. So why would these kids do that with a, a four-year college career? Now, the interesting thing with Dior, and some people have heard this, but for those that haven't, is if the NBA's one-and-done rule changes, and it's going to change, that's mm-hmm. going away. What we just don't know at this point is when. If that's 2022, if that's 2023, it's going to be relatively soon. Mm-hmm. I think Syracuse fans are hoping they kick that can down the road a little further so yeah. Dior comes yeah. for a season. But if they do eliminate that rule in the time that Dior would come to Syracuse, he has said that is something he would consider, jumping to the NBA, taking his chances there instead of coming here. Yeah, that's a question I asked some of the analysts, and the resounding answer was college is the best fit for him. As good as he is, even if you're the number five overall recruit in that cycle, that does not mean you can go directly to the NBA. There's stuff... You know, they're as as great as he is. There are some cons. He can get better shooting wise. Obviously, he needs to uh, work on the body. He's six foot three. It's it's not like this kid is going to come in and he's a six eleven big that can bully people at nineteen or twenty years years old. You know, there's a lot of improvements he can make as as creative as he is. He needs to clean that up. That's the biggest con that I got from these analysts was 
he gets super creative and he's super aggressive and sometimes he gets turnover prone. And that's something that he needs to clean up and that's something that they can't tolerate in the NBA. So college is the best route for him. Though I would say that going pro might be more accurate because he could go play in Australia or New Zealand or China. Sometimes kids want to make a ton of money. And that's that's certainly a possibility. So I wouldn't say just jumping to the NBA. I think going pro is an option. But college definitely does seem like the best fit. And what makes Syracuse fans a little more skittish, of course, is the Darius Baisley story. Top-rated guy, Mm five-star recruit, commits to Syracuse, doesn't go to college at all, did that unique kind of internship at New Balance, and then he's in the league. Yeah. It it paid off for him. That gamble paid off for him, unfortunately, at the expense of Syracuse. But that's why... SU fans are a little more skittish about this than mm-hmm. maybe your average fan base because they've gone through it. They've seen it happen, even in a unique one-and-done era we live in. Yeah, and though I will say I don't think that's like completely apples to apples. I, I completely get the connection. But Baisley, and not to throw him under the bus at all, but I think he had played for multiple high schools. I think he had played for multiple uh, AAU teams. Um, he had committed to Ohio, Ohio State really early on. And then I think there was sort of some trouble with Thad Mata there, if I remember correctly. Um, and so he bails on Ohio State and almost immediately flips to Syracuse. I don't think he had even visited yet before he was ready to jump on board with Syracuse. Um, and so I remember back then there was some questions about um, people in his camp often trying to push him to just jump to the next best thing immediately. So I'm not sure that that's really the case with Dior, but I definitely understand how Syracuse fans could could be a little scared of that situation. So DR's already visited. He's going to be back this Saturday for the North yes. Carolina game. And joining him at this game, another interesting five-star prospect for Syracuse, Chance Westry. For those not familiar with him, tell us about him. So Chance Westry is a 6'4 shooting guard. He goes to Trinity High School in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, he is an explosive shooting guard. I think would pair really nicely next to Dior. Um, he's a good shooter, great finisher. He's got good size. I think he's sort of the typical guard that Syracuse fans are used to seeing at the top of the zone. He's 6'4", but it looks like he's longer than that. And so once you start getting into that 6'6", 6'7", wingspan, I think that's when you start seeing those typical guards that Orange fans like to have at the top of that zone. Um, I think Syracuse is, is a heavy favorite for him right now. That's what it um, seems like. Yeah, the, yeah. It seems like the wind's been blowing that way, and coaches prefer that you visit before you make yep. that commitment. And hopefully, Syracuse gets some good news after this visit. It's a unique circumstance, uh, February 29th, Not mm-hmm. the typical North Carolina game. Most certainly it's not. Just so weird to see them in the basement <laughs> of the ACC. It's the last game in the Carrier Dome as we know it for men's basketball before they go full tilt mm-hmm. on the renovations. So it'll be interesting to see the news that, that comes out of that. So that's Chance. There's a couple other guards in the class of 2022, Ben. Zion Cruz, Roddy Gale, and, and J.J. Starling, the local uh-huh. kid from Baldwinsville, all on Syracuse's radar. Though the DR commitment, how does that affect not only J.J., but those other names we mentioned? So... Johnson was seen sitting with Cruz, Zion Cruz, during the Syracuse-Duke game. Um, I'm under the impression that he spent the majority of his time chatting up Zion Cruz. It it seems like they're relatively close. I think Cruz is the number 20 overall kid. Um, Where things I sort of think get interesting is the space for some of these players. 
Zion, I don't, I don't think we have a great feel of who the favorites are. Um, the connection to Johnson is obviously pretty strong. Roddy Gale, I think, is super interesting. He's the number 44 kid for the cycle. I think he's from Niagara Falls. I think Syracuse would be the favorite for him early. And all of a sudden, when you've got Dior Johnson's the number five kid and Chance Westry's the number 26 kid, there's a lot of guards that are sort of in this jumble right here. And it's difficult to sort of find a spot for how they can all fit together. And J.J. Starling, I, I know he's the the darling in central New York right now, and, and he very well should be. He's not ranked right now. Did you mean to rhyme that, by the way? I, I didn't. And now Starling I'm, and darling. You know, I'm I'm really disappointed now that I think about it because I, I didn't mean to do that. You, you went for the low-hanging fruit there, Ben. <laughs> I, I forgive you. It's it's okay. It happens once in a while. Subconsciously, I suppose I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't do it intentionally, and I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself. Um, but to get back on J.J., I, he's going to shoot up recruiting rankings really, really soon. I think this summer we're probably going to see him in the top 100. Um, he's considered by a lot of people to be one of the best shooters in the entire class. He would fit really, really well next to Dior Johnson or, or any of those guys, I think. But early indications are that he's a huge North Carolina fan. And so if Roy Williams gives him that dream offer, he might not stay in central New York. And that... By the way, you know, Carolina, who we mentioned, coming here on Saturday, yeah, mm-hmm. they're down. But they got four McDonald's All-Americans committed for this upcoming season, and J.J. would continue that trend beyond that. I don't know if he'll yeah. be a McDonald's All-American, but it'll be a highly rated player that will— North Carolina's going to be fine. Right? Yeah. They, they're going to be okay. They, they, they had will be a okay. weird down year. Cole Anthony was hurt for a lot, and just a lot of weird stuff happened there. But they're going to be all right. I, I, nobody's— crying for Roy Williams here yeah I I was listening to the coach's call this morning and Roy came on and he just his opening remarks where it was another tough week but you know (laughs) they they don't have a lot of tough weeks no so that's 2022 Uh uh-huh let's back up to 2021 now Mm -hmm. this one's not quite as sexy at this point right Syracuse is always out there pounding the pavement but what do we know about this class as it stands today so I think the fact that Syracuse has gotten off to such a strong start with 2022 sort of warps how we think about this class they don't have a commitment for 2021 and that's okay there's only like five or seven guys in the top 100 that have verbally committed so far so I don't want orange fans to start to get scared because you're getting a commitment from for 2022 and you might get get one for the UNC game Um, but right now I do think that there should be some concern because Kennedy Chandler was a primary target. They miss out on him. I spoke to his parents after he visited for the Virginia game, and the parents loved it. And then he, Syracuse doesn't show up in the top 10 for this kid. I suppose it matters a little bit less because Dior Johnson comes in at the same position. So it's not that big of a deal. But I think if that doesn't happen, I would I would be concerned. If you don't get Johnson, I think there is some concern there that you missed on Kennedy Chandler and you missed super bad. Um, the two guys I want Orange fans to think about are Benny Williams, who's a six eight wing from uh, Potomac, Maryland, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, St. He's, Andrews. Uh, he's the typical Syracuse forward um, that Orange fans are are really used to seeing. He's very athletic, great length. He's a good shooter. I think he would slot in to the back of the zone beautifully. I spoke to him late last year after he took an official visit 
with the orange. And he says he loves the zone. He thinks he would be a great fit for it. He actually told me that he thinks he could potentially project as a guard at some point. And so whether or not that's true, he's got great ball handling. Whether or not he can actually play guard at the next level is to be determined. But um, maybe defensively, that's something you could think about. But he's a guy that I think is a perfect fit for Syracuse. The other guy that Orange fans should keep an eye out for is Mac Etienne. Um, he's a 6'10 center from Suffield Academy in Connecticut. Um, the fun connection there is Suffield Academy has a, a 2020 football recruit, Justin Barron, who's coming to Syracuse. And I've read places that Justin has been getting in his ear okay. quite a bit to, to come to the Orange. But Etienne was one of the kids that was at the Duke game with that giant crop of guys. It was Dior Johnson, Zion Cruz, um, J.J. Starling was there, Donovan Klingen was there from the 2022 class, Patrick Tepay was there, who's a grad transfer that we'll get to soon, um, part of a huge group of guys. Uh, I checked in with him. He said he the, the feedback he got from the fans was incredible. Um, and there's sort of been some talk that he's close with Johnson and Cruz, and so they may decide to try to team up together. I suppose that's the hope. The other guys in the class, I, th- I think Syracuse is going to have to get more offers out. There's a couple bigs. Frank Capang sort of looks like he wants to go to Kentucky. Uh, John John Camden is a big wing from Pennsylvania. It looks like Penn State has the inside track on him. His sister plays for the basketball team there. Um, I don't think Syracuse has been involved for a little while. So I, I think currently, if you check 24-7 right now, Benny Williams, Mackie Tien are the guys to to really think about, and we might see Syracuse put out some more offers. Well, you bring up an interesting point before we get to 2020 and, and mm-hmm. the incoming players and some, a couple potential transfers, one that you mentioned. Players recruit players. They right? do. When DR committed, he said, I'm bringing other guys. Syracuse basketball is back. He was kind uh-huh. of flexing a little bit, right, about the players he was going to bring with him, even though he's a player who, by all accounts, is only going to be here for a year if he ends up here. So it's mm-hmm. interesting, that dynamic, and to hear you say, you know, football players and players in the same area come with me. Like, mm-hmm. I remember when I was a senior in high school and, you know, my roommate was, you know, a friend of mine, it, it, yeah. you know, in, in, in college. It, it, even though college is an opportunity to kind of expand your horizons, learn about new things, and you eventually get there, when you're first there, you're, you're still in your comfort zone, right? And I think, you know, right. players think that way. If they can have a partner in crime, so to say, you know, they'll go for it. Absolutely. I, I mean, we see it happen at all levels now. The NBA, who's the best recruiter in the NBA? It's LeBron. Who's the best general manager in the NBA? It's LeBron. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, best president, director of operations, it's LeBron because that's the guy that people want to play with a lot of time or Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, I, I think players recruit other players. I think that's a super underrated aspect that people don't think about. You can come to Syracuse and maybe you don't like Jim, maybe you don't like Jerry. Maybe you don't like Autry, but if you like your roommate, if you like your starting small forward, you might be okay. Um, so they're they're definitely recruiting each other. It's it's an interesting dynamic that I think, especially with social media, has exploded. That's exactly it. Social now, media, the presence out there, they're marketing themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. As the recruiting gurus like to say, you know, let the kid have their moment. Yeah. You know, don't ruin the moment for the kid. They they kind of build up to that, whether it's the hats or whatever creative ways they do it. They all make videos these days. It's always creative to – it's always interesting to watch how creative they get with those. So we'll see what happens in that case. But, you know, getting a sense of where players are going, 
mm-hmm. see who they're following, see who they're tweeting at, yeah. see who they're Instagramming with, all that nonsense that we talked about earlier. And you can kind of get a read on it sometimes, yeah. but it also could be a smokescreen as well. And that's why I'm glad people like you follow this stuff because I don't have time for that nonsense. Okay? I barely I just, have time for it myself. Exactly. But that's why you guys pay me the medium bucks. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so getting to the incoming class of 2020, there's mm-hmm. two players committed and there's two potential transfers. So let's start with the transfers. You brought up Patrick Tape earlier, uh, 6'10 guy from Columbia. Look, Syracuse needs a big man. They do. I mean, God bless Marek Dolzhai and what he did in the second half against Georgia Tech. Quincy Garrier is coming around. Barama Sidibe actually had a decent game, but that happens like once every 10 games these days, <laughs> unfortunately for him. Yeah. Syracuse needs a true blue big man. Does Tape fit that mold? I think so. I mean, I think the big thing is that he weighs like 230 pounds, which is 50 pounds heavier than basically anybody else that they've got. I think he, worst case scenario, sort of is that typical traditional five that Syracuse really hasn't had in a while. Um, it's that bulk that I think he would bring. But also, I think I think Patrick Tepe would step in and be the starter right now. I think he would be their best offensive center. Defensively, I mean, we're going by highlight tapes here, and there's not a lot of defense, but he has one of the better shot blockers in the Ivy League. Uh, decent rebounder, but he's a ferocious scorer. Uh, not sure how many opportunities he gets in in that Columbia offense, um, but the highlights, you know, the they're of him catching the ball at the elbow, taking a couple dribbles and exploding to the rim. And there is not a center on Syracuse's roster right now that does that. Maybe Jesse Edwards, but that's not even that's not even certain. I I think he would be the best center on the roster. And I right should clarify: now. how much eligibility does he have left at this just, point? Just just the one year. Oh, just he'd be a one one, yep. one and done guy. Okay. Both I think both instances um, for Tepe, he would have just the one year, and then Seth Towns, who we'll talk about, uh, he's a grad transfer. Actually, he's he hasn't played in a while, but he's he's been at Harvard for four years. Well, let's bring up Seth. He's a forty four percent three point shooter. We're all kind of under the assumption that Elijah Hughes is going. Yes. Like Elijah Hughes twenty Elijah Hughes turns twenty two years old soon. His pro prospects are, are going up here. That groin injury only reminds what can happen if yeah. you stay and, and he's gone. Like I am under the mind frame that he will not be here next year. How would Seth Towns step in for a player like Elijah Hughes? So I the big thing to note for Orange fans is which Seth Towns do you get? Those stats for Seth Towns, the the 16 points, the five rebounds or uh, whatever it is, the 44% shooting, the year that he won Ivy League Player of the Year as a sophomore was two seasons ago. He's been hurt for two years now, had major knee surgery, sat out all last year. Does he come back and play at the same level that he was playing at as a sophomore? If he is, then you've got a 6'7 wing that can fit into the exact same spot that Elijah Hughes did. They're different players, but it sort of fits that need. If not, I mean, the guys missed two straight seasons. That's difficult. Something to think about. That's difficult. It's, it's, I don't, I, I do worry that the expectations are, are going to get out of hand if he, if he does come to Syracuse, that he's going to come in and step in and, and be what Elijah Hughes is when as a sophomore, he wasn't what Elijah Hughes is now and he'd be coming off two years of, 
of injuries. I apologize if I added to that, Seth, by comparing you to Elijah Hughes <laughs> and putting you in, in, in that boat. Kadari Richmond, Woody Newton, two commits coming in. Yeah. How do they mix in with this team, knowing what we think the roster is going to look like, players stepping into new roles, and remind us what kind of players they are. So we'll start with Woody Newton. Um, he's a 6'8 forward uh, from Maryland. I think Mount Zion Prep. Um, they actually played Brewster Academy where Kadari Richmond plays earlier this season. Um, Woody Newton, typical lean, long, athletic forward that you'd like to see at the back of the zone. Um I think he could fit in pretty nicely. He looks like he's a pretty good shooter as well. Um, Very athletic. I think he could be an underrated piece because we don't know what the future of like a Robert Braswell would be. He's been hurt for so long that it's difficult to, to project him in any way. So I think Woody Newton would fit in a very similar style. Maybe not as good of a shooter as Robert Braswell is, but much more athletic. And then Kadari Richmond, I think, is a guy that has flown way under the radar that Syracuse fans should be super excited about. I know they were a little frustrated missing out on Andre Jackson. I think Kadari Richmond projects to be a better player than Andre Jackson. He's a better shooter. He's a better ball handler. He's not quite as as explosive, but he's a true point guard that's six foot five, and he's a guy that next year could step in and when you need to get a bucket, he will create the space himself to get said bucket. He's a playmaker, and I think Syracuse fans might end up really, really liking him. I think he could compete for a starting spot day one. Ben, last thing for you. How does Bayheim factor into this? And I know he's obviously the looming presence over the whole thing, uh-huh. but I'm sure it comes up. Parents, players you talk to may even ask you, what do you know about Jim? When mm-hmm. is Jim leaving, right? I mean, it's a natural question to ask. It's yeah. most important, though, in this recruiting conversation, because the natural tie is Buddy. Jim and Buddy go out together in a couple of years. That's what we were all thinking, right? But then D.R. Yeah. Johnson's a commitment that goes beyond the Buddy Bayheim window. And if you're Jim Bayheim, why the hell would you would you not want to coach a five-star player? Yeah. And how much did D.R., how much will Chance Westry, how much will any of these players that go beyond the Buddy window mm-hmm. commit because of Jim? So what, what's that like for you when you're covering this and, and talking to players and, and, and their parents and, and everything right. when it comes to the Bayheim factor? So I know he's sort of uh, been pushing back with some fans recently, but as far as I know, the sense is that he's going to be there in 2022. Um, I know Dior Johnson was primarily com- uh, recruited by Jerry. Autry has been in on on some of those big guys. Uh but I have been told by multiple recruits they're under the impression that it will be Jim in 2022. Um, and at least one, Donovan Klingen, when I spoke to him last week for a piece, uh, he said whether or not Bayheim is there is a very important factor in whether or not he would come to Syracuse versus a UConn or a Georgetown. Um, you know, I, I know fans want to beat up on him about the zone and Syracuse is having a down year, but he is still viewed by many people as a legendary coach. Uh, we might want to knock on how NBA guys have, have done recently, but he gets guys to the NBA consistently. Almost every single year, you've got a guy going to the NBA. You've got a ton of guys playing really well in the G League. He turns guys into pros, and college kids know that. High school kids know that. He's still very sought after, very well respected. Um, I did have have one high school coach for – one of these classes, I, I won't 
I won't point him out, but he did ask about the chances of Mike Hopkins coming back. Ah, that's um, always looming too. Because they, they, they had said, we're under the impression that Jim's going to be there, but it's still on the radar. What about Mike Hopkins? What have you guys heard? Um, and it's a question <laughs> a lot of fans think about yeah. too, especially yeah. when you look at Washington this year really struggling. And there's other factors with Mike, as we know, his mm-hmm. father has dementia and he wants to be close there. Yeah. He loves it out there. He loves the area he's in, but things can change. And I think he kind of knows there's there's an open door here. It times out well in a lot of ways. But here's and, and we'll close on this note then with Dayheim, mm-hmm. especially this year. So Syracuse hits a little bit of a rut. They're not going to get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. They've got to get to the ACC tournament championship game just to be in that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the straddle in the 500 line, and all, so when this happens, as I like to call them, the Dementors come out, right? The Syracuse <laughs> basketball Dementors that just feed off the negative energy, yeah, that pounce on their opportunity. Say, oh, it's it's time for the old man to go. I will never agree with this until this point. When you're not in these conversations. When you're not in the conversations that you and I just had, if you're not in the running for D.R. Johnson, for Chance Westry, for Mm -hmm. when there's a real dry spell, when Syracuse is just completely shut out of serious recruiting conversations, that's when you know. And that's not the case right now. So, yes, they struggled. Yes, people are frustrated with certain things. But when you're not in the big-time recruiting conversations anymore, that's when I think you at least think about it. And they're still in those conversations. Right, and I th- I think Syracuse went through a really good stretch, especially at the beginning of the 2010s, of great recruiting. You get mega stars like Dion Waiters to agree to come off the bench, um, and I think that sort of warped things. And fans don't realize they say, "Well, we haven't gotten a five star in a while." There's only like 12 or 15 or 25 stars in a cycle, and when Kentucky, Duke, and North Carolina are taking eight to 10 to 12 of those guys, you've got an entire country full of great coaches and great schools vying for the other 10, right? And by the way, you did get one and he decided to go to the NBA and Baisley. Yeah, yeah. You Baisley would have been the third highest recruit outside of, including Johnson, the third highest recruit that they've gotten since Carmelo and Anthony. And technically they did get him. I know yeah. he never showed up here, but he committed. Like yeah. That's all you can ask for in the recruiting world, right? And so, yeah, I can see how it might be frustrating. Um, Even when you don't get a a lot of top 100 guys, you still have to think Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, they're exclusively getting top 100 guys. You know, they're bringing in five guys each cycle. That's 15. 15% of that class is already gone from two to three schools. And so I I think fans have to understand that they might – Syracuse might be in a little bit of a rut recruiting-wise now, but it's very difficult. You're seeing a a larger group of high-level kids going to a smaller group of schools now, and if you're ranked 120th in the country, that might not be the end of the world. Buddy Beheim was not a top 100 kid. Um, Joe Girard was not a top 100 kid. Um, Kadari Richmond is barely a top 100 kid, but I think they'll be fine. Ben Burles, thanks for dropping by the Syracuse Sports Podcast again, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to episode 66 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Again, I would encourage you to subscribe if you haven't already on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Find Syracuse.com podcasts 
hit that subscribe button and you'll get the Syracuse Sports Podcast, the Syracuse.com Football Podcast, and our Syracuse Basketball Game Recaps from Facebook Live. Put it in a podcast form just for you so you don't miss a thing and it's all right there on demand wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks to Ben Burles for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.